All right. Hey, good to be with you guys, man. Um, I feel this is so odd. Um, I do get the privilege to do some of this traveling and talking and helping and encouraging. And, but the, the difference is that normally I feel I am a guest speaker and I don't know anyone. And now, like, I know almost everyone. And this is pretty amazing. It's a huge privilege um, to kick us off. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to us today um, just as we, as we start this, this, this next couple of days looking at what does it mean to be fruitful, what is fruitfulness in all these different areas. I want to kind of do a summary for us and, and talk about um, being fruitful people, being fruitful churches, and having fruitful partnerships together as churches. Um, and, it, and it is a huge privilege um, to be with you and to, to do this. This is the first time we've gotten together like this, in case you're unaware. Um, last year, uh, um, our eldership team and the eldership team from um, Brian's church here in Houston and Alan's church in, in California, our, t- our eldership teams got together um, just because, you know, us as, as leaders had really been feeling this is the right direction, this is what we should do. We wanted our elders to, to, to have a chance to ask tons of questions so they were, we'd own it as a team, as a church. So that was, that was unique, but this is, this is new. And um, to, say that, um, to say that we've been looking forward to this opportunity is an understatement. Um, it really is just such a huge privilege for us. And, and as PJ said, he's gonna, um, he'll, he'll take sort of a more specific look at how churches partner together. But I just want to jump in on this subject of fruitfulness. And I want to start just by asking us a few questions. Um, what does Jesus want for us as we get together like this? What, what does he want for us as we gather? You know, sometimes we just assume everything. And, and we just need to stop and think, what, what does it? Does, it does, does Jesus just want us to get some new ideas? Man, I'm going to hear a new idea. Oh, I heard about, was that, he fixed a trailer? What does that mean? Okay, maybe I can fix a trailer. Like, is, is, that what, is that what Jesus wants for us? Is that, what about, does he want us just to sort of network? Maybe we're going to like, you know, sort of networking. That's, it's like a business thing. And we're going to meet some new friends, exchange some phone numbers, and, you know, make some contacts. Um, does, does he just want us to get a, a break from the busyness of life? I mean, is that, is, that what, is that what this is really all about? You know, I mean, it's just a glorified sort of holiday. Um, and, well, I, I hope that we get good ideas, and I hope that um, we network, and I hope that we get a little break from busyness. I, I hope that all those things happen, and, and so Jesus wants those things to happen. But, but man, he, he wants to minister to our hearts. And if we just got good ideas, and we just networked, and we just, we just you know, did those little things, and, and our hearts stayed the same, it wouldn't be a win, right? That's a loss. It's not a win. Jesus is our great high priest. To use our language, he's our senior pastor, and he cares about us. A good pastor cares about his people. Jesus is the senior pastor. He's the chief shepherd. He cares about us. He cares about us. He cares about our hearts because he cares about us. He doesn't just care about the job getting done, and he wants the job to get done. He can't wait for the job to get done, but he cares about us. He cares about us because though we're his workers in the field, we're his bride which is this bizarre combo that only Jesus could navigate, right? It's amazing. And and we, we're we're needy people. Just let's get that right. Like, we're we're flipping desperate. We're needy needy people. Um, We're needy churches. No church church representative arrived here today having it all figured out. No church arrived here today going, hey, Actually, guys, I can do this on my own. If anybody wants to learn from me, come check it out. And that makes us a very needy movement. And it's okay to talk like that. In fact, it's incredibly appropriate to talk like that. 
Um, and, and, and in this chapter, John 15, which is a really, it's a really well-worn passage, so I'm going to need your help to kind of pretend like you've never heard it. Um, we, we see Jesus say things like, we can't do anything without him. He doesn't even like try to like do the politically correct thing where he says, man, if you want to do significant things, you're going to need me. You know, you got, I mean, he doesn't do any, he doesn't pander to us. He just, just tells it like it is. Without me, you can't do anything. We need Jesus. I, I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And some of us here are limping, but all of us here need Jesus, right? And, and so, um, you know, we really do mean it when we say if Jesus doesn't show up and do something, it's all a waste. A very expensive, elaborate waste, right? Jesus needs to show up. And so I just, I'm trying to be vulnerable because I want to create an atmosphere of vulnerability, right? Because that's where God can do something, you know? I mean, we talk about fruitfulness, but you have to, like, have soft soil. And I think that's just our hearts going, you know what, let's just time out real quick and each of us just be vulnerable and say, man, Jesus, I want you to meet with me. I am needy. I am needy. I'm needy in every area of my life. I'm just, I'm needy and I need you. And then, and then we, we get to remember that Jesus is with us and he's for us and he cares about our lives and our souls. And he wants to remind us that he does have us here for a purpose. As PJ said, we're here for a reason, right? All that stuff is great. And, and we're not just left here on, on planet earth to mark time until we die and waste oxygen and pay taxes. That's not why we're here, right? We're here for a reason. Jesus, Jesus wants us to be fruitful. Jesus wants us to be fruitful. Did you, man, I, I know we know that, but did you know that? Like Jesus, which the Bible tells us is the word of God with skin on. He's the incarnate word of God. Jesus who created the earth, who said, let there be light, wants you to bear fruit and wants me to bear fruit. That is mind-blowing, man. That's mind-blowing. That, that means Jesus doesn't want you to just personally be fruitful. He wants the church that you're a part of. He, he wants the church that John and Odessa haven't even started yet to be fruitful. He wants us together as churches who parted to be fruitful. Jesus, who created everything, wants us to be fruitful in everything that we do. Let's, let's, let's dive into John 15, verse 12. This is my commandment. This is my commandment, Jesus says, that you love one another. As I have loved you, greater love has no one than this, that, that, he, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master's doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Um, Man, what do we see here? We see a glimpse of Jesus' great desire for his disciples, right? Jesus, he, he, he just comes out. He doesn't, he's not like that dad or that leader that you're wondering, what do they think? You know, they're, you know, they're just kind of silent in the room. He's just vocal. He's, he's, he's here, here's what I want for you. Here's what I desire for you. He expresses his desire for his disciples, but I think we get something else. We get to see his desire for, for the church, right? Because think about it like this. Um, Churches are just a bunch of disciples together, right? They're not made of bricks and wood. They're, 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 they're just people. They're just made up of disciples. And so if this is a glimpse um, of Jesus' desire for his disciples, it really is a glimpse of Jesus' desire for the church, right? That, that, that's, that's helpful logic there, you know? Sometimes we sort of dichotomize stuff. It, this is really helpful to see 
Jesus, you want this for disciples. That means, Jesus, you want that for your church. I mean, it's, it's really simple. The type of disciples you have is the type of church you have, right? But we don't define church like that. We define church by leadership and buildings and money. But actually, churches are just disciples, which means the type of disciples your church has is the type of church you have. Um, we, we had our clock cleaned last year. Um, what I mean, that's an American phrase for we got, we got hit pretty hard. Um, we took a survey of our, our church, and I, I mean, I just assumed that everyone was going to say, I'm ready to go to the nations, and I, I don't even tie 10%. I tied 90%. Um, I, I mean, I was just expecting, like, I pray and fast. all the, I mean, I actually pray and fast so much, my doctor's worried about my health. And I mean, this is what I expected. And it was like so far from that. Our people didn't pray. They don't read the Bible. Most of those guys said if God said go, they wouldn't. Man, that was hard to hear, right? Because I'm thinking like, man, our church is killing it. But actually, the quality of disciples is what determines what the, how the church is doing. You know, it's not just about the leader. It's not just about the building. It's not just about the stuff. So Jesus, he wants us to be fruitful. And, and he wants us to be fruitful personally. He wants us to be fruitful as churches. And he wants us to be fruitful in this partnership that we dream of and that we are already experiencing. And so I want to just take the little bit of time I have just to kind of walk through how we can create culture and an environment that's conducive for bearing fruit. Is that all right? Okay, cool. Um, so I'm just going to work through this passage because it's really amazing and, and it just preaches itself. Um, the first thing I'd say that we, we need to just really make sure, this first ingredient we should have if we're going to have an environment that's conducive for, for bearing fruit is that we should deeply love each other. And we do. Like, re- we really love each other. Um, this, this sort of American, I love you, bro, like kind of high five, but I don't really care about you thing. That, that's not what we're talking about. We really love each other. Um, but what does it matter, right? Listen to this. In verse 12, he says, it's my commandment. It's my commandment that you love one another. Man, this is so good that we miss this stuff, right? Did Jesus say, um, all that I want for you to do is just relate to each other in a network or a movement? No, he said, I want you to love each other. I want you to care about each other. I want you to love each other, man. I don't want you just to show up to the same event in the same room and be part of the same team. I want you to love each other. And we settle for less than that, and when we do, we miss out. But why would we even settle? Why, why would we settle for less than loving each other? We settle because we don't want to get hurt. That's why we always settle. That's why marriages settle. That's why friendships settle. That's why everybody settles short because, man, to really, to really love someone is to risk. C.S. Lewis says, if you don't want to get your heart broke, don't even have a dog. Because a dog will die and then your heart will get broke, right? And then you write a country song. That's not what C.S. Lewis said, but that's what I said. <laughs> he should have, man. He should have. He should have said that. Um, but but we, like, we settle for less than loving each other. And, and man, something grows dark in our heart. We, we, we end up like, you know, people who've been single their whole life and wanted to get married. There's a gift of singleness and there's just... And it's just there's folks who are single. And some people are single so long that they actually start loving being single in, like, the wrong way. They just like their, like, life because no one's messing with their life, right? They like the, the everything where it is. And, that, and that's a dark place for our soul. We were meant to love each other, not just be in the same room. He wanted this. He wanted us to love each other in genuine relationship. He wanted us to see uh, that, that church is full of rich community, like a body. He said like a, like a body so that when one part hurts, the rest of it hurts. I mean, if I, if I hit my toe and it started bleeding right now and I didn't say anything and there's like blood all over the carpet, I mean, somebody, my wife, hopefully, on the front row, someone's going to say, hey, hold time out. 
man, you're bleeding out right now. Is everything all right? You know, you, there's like a mess happening. You're seriously hurt. And if I said, oh my gosh, my, the whole rest of my body didn't even tell me that my, my foot was bleeding, someone smart in the room would say, I think we need to get you to a real professional because this isn't a toe problem now. This is like a neurological, like something's wrong in your brain or something's wrong in your spine, right? Like something's, something internally serious is wrong with you if you can't feel that, that this one part of your body is bleeding out, right? You say, your toe's not actually the big, it's a problem, but it's not the big problem. Something serious is wrong. And yet I've just described what people have become so normal to and accustomed to as local church. One part of us is hurting, and the other part is like, ah, oh, it's not my problem. It's not, it's not even a toe problem, man. That's like a spinal column problem. That's a, that's a problem, man. Jesus said that, it's, that we're personally to love each other, that as churches we're to care and love about each other. And then he, he, he wants us to experience deep love as churches for other churches. This is crazy, right? And we do, man. We mourn, we mourn already with just a handful of churches that we have. We mourn and we rejoice. We care about each other. Man, our friend Matt Hosier in, 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 in Poole in the UK, he was praying and trusting for a building. We've been praying and trusting for him. And it was, a, it was a long shot. And he just sent the message through. He got the building and we all went crazy. Now, I don't get anything from that building personally, but, I, but this is a win, man. This is like, this is our brother, you know? We rejoice and we mourn together. Jesus said the kind of unity he wanted wasn't just a theological unity. And we settle for that. Oh, we theologically check all the boxes. That's good, but that's not everything. He doesn't want just a philosophical unity. Oh, we all have the same philosophy of ministry. That's good, but that's not everything. Jesus described the unity he wanted in John 17, verse 22, like this. The glory that you have given me. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer to his Father. The glory you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. That's the kind of unity that Jesus wanted. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, what? So that the world may know that you sent me. That's the gospel. That's the mission. Jesus said the unity that we experience is like the unity between him and his Father, and the whole world gets full of God's glory. That's so much different than what we settle for when we don't love each other. It's totally appropriate for churches to feel like that towards one another. Listen just to a couple snippets of how Paul you know, the, the great apostle, you know, goes and works with churches. Listen how he, he describes his feeling for them. In Philippians 1, 8, he says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. apart from other things, there's this daily pressure on me, my, my anxiety for the churches. He's not working a nine to five. Man, this is like laying in bed, toiling, broken, hurting, thinking about this, this situation in Corinth and it's just how it's affected the church and how it's affected the city and he's just eat up about it. He, he, he's anxious about it. First Thessalonians 2, verse 7 through 8. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you um, not only the gospel of God but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. And ask yourself, does this sound like a guy who's just part of a network or denomination? Or does it sound like a guy whose heart has been wrecked for these churches? Man, he loves these churches. It's appropriate for us to feel like that towards one another. It's appropriate. And why do we love each other? Because we're so lovable? Not so much, right? Man, not so much. I mean, I can be really unlovable. Just ask Jill. I mean, that lady who wrote that article, she... Like, she doesn't live with me. I'm telling you, man, she lived with me, but she probably wouldn't be publishing that article, right? I'm, seriously, I can be really unlovable. 
We can all be unlovable. What causes us to love, even when that's, it's not easy? Man, we, we know that we've been really loved by Jesus. We've been really loved by Jesus. That's the second thing. That, 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 the gospel creates this unbelievable context for bearing fruit. The same reason that we are to love is because Jesus loved us. John, or sorry, yeah, John 15, verse 12, continuing. Jesus said, as I have loved you, greater love is no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. Man, I really struggled with this. I'm going to be straight up because I don't like starting a sermon. Um, and I, I even had to like make it happen in the intro. I don't like starting with like something we do for each other, not something Jesus does for us because indicatives produce imperatives, right? What Jesus has done leads to us loving each other. I know that like, and I had a hard time doing like backflips around this thing. And I, I, I just struggled like, man, why does it read like this? Love each other first as I've loved you. Why does it say, I've loved you, so love each other? Because that's theologically how it flows, right? And then I just, it started hitting me, man, just as I wrestled with this. Like sometimes you don't realize how much you need the love of Jesus until you try to love other people in your own strength. You know? Like sometimes it doesn't really like hit you how messed up you are and how messed up they are and how hopeless this whole like whole conversation and situation even could possibly be. And it just, it sometimes doesn't hit you how much you need Jesus until those moments, man. Honestly, man, you, you, you just, you start trying to love someone in your own strength and you, you, you really quickly want to go find the gospel, right? Like that, that's my experience. Jesus here is referring to something these guys didn't even understand yet. They were so daggone clueless. Jesus says, I'm going to lay down my life for you. Hey, lay down my life. They didn't get it, right? He, he, he's, he has come to die for them. He knew this from the start. He wanted them to know that real love is costly and it's sacrificial. And he brings it up in this moment because he wants them to see this is the rationale. This is the reasoning. This is why we love each other. We love each other because he loves us. Just like he served us. Just like he served his disciples, us. Not because of what they could do for him. In the same way, we love and serve others because of how Jesus has loved and served us. That's the rationale. He wants us to give grace and mercy because he gave us grace and mercy. And this also, this also too applies to why we love and help other churches, right? This also applies to that. We, we do it because Jesus loves us. There's other reasons for churches trying to help other churches, right? Frankly, a lot of what goes on is imperialism. It's westward expansion. It's conquering kingdoms, conquering more, right? That's not love-driven, right? That's like, I want a kingdom-driven. And that's not what we're talking about here. But man, there is this phenomenal thing um, that honors God when we, because we love each other, when we, when, we, when we want to help each other, we want to serve each other, right? God's not gonna honor that imperialism stuff no more than God would honor me running around my town trying to meet with everyone I heard was grumpy at their church so they'd come to my church. God wouldn't honor that mess. I mean, I fear God too much to do that. Well, we should fear God as a movement too much to do that, and we do, we do. Our partnership together is deep and it's meaningful. It's a climate for fruitfulness when we're motivated by the gospel. We serve and we love because we've been served and we've been loved. It changes the paradigm for how we even think about each other when we do this, right? It changes our paradigm. That's the next thing we see. We don't treat each other like associates. We treat each other like friends. We have true, meaningful, enjoyable friendship with each other. Verse 14, you are my friends, Jesus says. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants. Servant doesn't know what his master's doing. I've called you friends. Has this, has this lost its effect on you? 
I mean, Jesus just said, I called you friends. And we're all still sitting in our chairs. Isn't that crazy? It's like, it's just so easy to hear it. And he's, he's like, he wants to be our friends. Here's the crazy thing about Jesus. He's omniscient. He knows everything. Now, add that to, I want to be your friend. And you've got a very bizarre scenario, <laughs> right? Because most of our friends don't know everything about us, right? And most of us don't tell people everything about us because we want friends, right? <laughs> we hide. I mean, social media is the great, the great sort of, you know, um, just facade of our day. I mean, everyone's pretending to be someone else. No one's going on there. There's a few crazies, but most people aren't going on there saying everything, right? I mean, here's Jesus who knows everything about you. He knows, he knows, and he knows how serious everything, because there's people who, like, know stuff about you, but they don't take it that serious. So, like, that's why you probably even told those people. He's like, ah, oh, it's cool, man, we're all broken. But, like, Jesus knows what holiness is because he's holy, and he knows everything about you, and he knows everything about me, and he takes our thoughts as serious as our actions. He knows all that mess, and he still wants to be my friend. Man, that is, like, insane that Jesus wants to be our friends. That's, I'm just, don't let that, like, just get lost on you. Man, this puts us right back in the Old Testament. Abraham, Moses, friends of God. That's, like, that's what Jesus is saying. That, that's not a special, bizarre relationship that doesn't exist anymore. That exists in this room. God wants to be friends with us. It's incredible, man. So, so that's incredible. And then there's more to this. It's not just even our friendship with God. God gives us friendship with each other. He powerfully works through the relationships that we have in our lives. I just want to just, just, just again, just, just pause for a second and just let you hear this. Some of you just met each other. Some of you just met each other tonight, this afternoon, and you have no idea what God's going to do from that one little invitation, that one little just first time meeting each other. I remember the first time I met Brian and Rachel, and I never thought this day would come. That first time I met Alan and Rennell and Kelly and Marianne and PJ and Ash, Stephen. The first time I met Rigby, I remember the first time I met all, all these guys and I, I never dreamed this was going to happen. You don't know what God wants to do just in this one little room right here, man. It's amazing. This creates, when you start thinking like that, that person I sat down with at coffee and at breakfast, it, this, there's, there's an environment God's creating where he wants to bear fruit. You don't, man, just dream. What would God want to do? That's incredible. And then there's even more. This Jesus who wants to be our friend isn't our peer. He's our leader. I mean, this, this also affects our view on leadership. And I know for some people that feels like the L word, you know. Um, everybody in this room has been hurt or disappointed by a leader, right? Coincidentally, everyone in this room has had really bad diarrhea, right? Yeah. So, some of us more than others, right? Um, some of us have stories that aren't appropriate to talk about right now. But some of us are so comfortable in our skin, and we would tell you those stories if you wanted to meet us in the lobby afterwards. Um, we've, all, like, we've all had that, right? We've all had upset stomach. Let's use a nicer word. But you know what? We're all still eating food, you know? Now, there's some foods that we may avoid. Hey, that made me sick. Maybe I don't need to eat that again. I'm not trying to, to, to sort of 
take away the, 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 the hurt and the pain that comes from being abused by leadership. I'm just saying, man, sometimes we, we, we throw out the baby with the bathwater. And this is incredible what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I'm, I want to be your friend. And we just can't forget who's saying it. He's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. He is the supreme, like, strong leader, right? The leader of leaders. Leadership doesn't always equal lordship. Leadership's not always bad. It can be bad. It's not always bad. Listen to Matthew 20. Jesus says in verse 25 to his disciples, you know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. You see that happening around town. You watch these guys are in control. They lord their authority. And their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever will be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus doesn't come along and say, hey guys, I know leadership's really bad all over the place, so I'm just going to can leadership. Problem solved. No, Jesus said, hey, man, there's been some messed up. You see that? That's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. You're not doing any of that. We're going to do it different than that. What a radical, countercultural version of leadership Jesus has. And we're so tempted when a leader falls to just like run away from the concept of strong leadership. That's not the way you handle things that have been misused and abused. The correct way is to just find correct use, right, and apply that. Jesus is the strongest of leaders, and he wants to redefine what that means for all of us. He wants us to not just have strong leaders. He wants us to have strong teams of leaders. We get away from the superstar thing that's so common in our churches. He sets the record straight. We're not to treat each other like servants and masters. We're to treat each other like friends. We don't lord authority over each other. We love each other. We serve each other because Jesus has loved and served us. But we need more than friends to be fruitful. There's things that want to kill the fruit, want to take out the potential of fruit. Those things are called sin, right? And so if we're going to do anything together that's going to last, we have to hate sin. That hating sin is like a vital part of creating a conducive environment for growth, hating sin. And so we are committed to holiness. There's a very little verse here that gets so surrounded, gets easily forgotten. Jesus says in verse 14, if you do what I command you. You just read right over it. Right, whatever, what's Jesus talking? He's crazy again. Okay, what's that? Back to that me bearing fruit thing. Um, what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about obedience and holiness and righteousness. The Bible uses this vineyard picture elsewhere and talks about how there's these little foxes that like to get in and spoil the vine, like to eat the fruit. In my, my yard, we have foxes in my yard. We got more raccoons than foxes. And uh, these raccoons, they don't like to spoil the vine. They like to dig it up and eat it, Right? And so we had dreams of, of watermelons this year and cantaloupes, and I planted all this stuff. And these raccoons, I'm choosing a godly word, raccoons went in and tore up my garden, right? Now, for you folks from California, don't ask me what I did, all right, because you don't want to know, okay? But if raccoon ends up on the endangered list, you know why, right? <laughs> But we are to go after, go after the things that seek to kill the fruit, right? We're to go after it, right? I'm just trying to give you a mental inch. So next time you're tempted, think about what I did to those raccoons and apply the same logic. We want to be gospel-centered and we want to be missional. But these verses like obedience and holiness, 
aren't popular in gospel-centered missional churches. And that's a problem. Because you can't be gospel-centered, you can't be missional if you're not committed to holiness. Jesus says, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Right? He says in, in Luke 6, 46, if you call me Lord, you should be doing what I say. The way we stay connected to holiness is by repentance, though. If we're not perfect, we need a culture of repentance. And in this movement already, just to speak for the movement's sake, this movement already, there's already been a lot of repentance. I can't even count how many times I've had to say sorry, genuinely say sorry, to the men in this room. I mean, I've went at it with some of these guys. I mean, I'm embarrassed how I've acted. Seriously. I mean, there's me and Alan, we were talking last night in Texas, years ago, we got into it, and I was, I was honestly thinking, I never want to see this dude's face again. Man, can you, like, isn't that awful? And I was like, I just, it was awful, man. And I had to repent. And, it's, and I could go line by line, actually. I could go guide by guide. But, but that repentance is necessary. If we're going to be holy. We've got to be committed to repentance. We're going to be quick to repent to each other. Quick to repent to God. Quick to repent to each other. And what is that going to take? Humility. Humility. We want to be, a, we want to be continually marked by humility. We don't have to wait for some big blowout that came from pride to find humility. We want to start with that, like, ingredient in the soil now. Like, we want to work that thing in now. We don't want to have a bunch of problems down the road and go, oh, you know what we're missing? Humility. No, we want to get right to that, like, from the get-go, man. We need humility. But, but Donnie, how does this passage teach us humility? I'm glad you asked. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Folks, no matter where you stand, nothing will humble you faster than good old-fashioned election. All right? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. I mean, we have no right to boast. We get no trophy. We, we get no little badge. We get nothing. Like, we have no right to boast. We are not, it is not like Jesus is, gets the gold and, well, at least I got the silver. Like, I'm not even on the, like, I'm just not even up there. Like, we have no right to boast. We owe it all to God. In fact, the worship song of heaven you know, what it's, you know what it sounds like? It sounds like this. Everyone singing at one time the same words, salvation belongs to the Lord. No one in heaven is going, yeah, but I'm pretty sure that you saw my hand looking through the corridor of time. You saw my hand reaching to your hand. And, and so, yeah, salvation, it kind of belongs to you, but what if I had raised my hand? There's none of that's happening in heaven. Everyone is just on their face going, Jesus, salvation belongs to you. Nothing humbles you faster than this, right? We get no right to boast. And we know that as disciples, right? I don't get a right to boast. I'm a disciple of Jesus, right? We know that. But what about churches? Do churches get to boast? Wait a second. Churches are just disciples. So if disciples don't get a right to boast, then churches don't get a right to boast. See that? See how that works? Okay, so I'm a disciple. I don't get a right to boast. That means even a group of disciples don't get a right to boast. Everything we have, we have by grace alone, and we owe all the glory to Jesus. And we, we cut out cockiness. We cut out all that junk. And we just, man, we just say, man, so thankful for all that Jesus has done. Doctrines of grace don't just humble disciples. They humble churches too. But even that's not all that Jesus is saying here. Humility is never the end goal for Jesus. 
it's never just humility. It's not just humility and maturity, right? Because that's like, that's like the typical Bible study, right? It just goes round and round nowhere. It's just humility, maturity, humility, maturity, but there's no mission. That's why those things get toxic. That's why if a church is only about humility and maturity, it gets toxic because you have to have mission, right? Because Jesus' goal, the Bible's goal was never, I just want you to be humble and mature. No, I want you to be humble and mature so you go on mission. Like those things are connected, right? And this is what happens here. We, and we see this because we're completely committed to mission. We see him say, I, I chose you, I appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit. That word appointed means to set apart with a particular purpose in mind. Jesus set us apart, set you apart, set me apart, set our churches apart, set us together apart with a purpose in mind. His purpose. The Bible says he predetermined the exact times and places. He pin dropped GPS exactly where you and I are, right where we are now. We were sent there for the same reason he was, to go and seek and save the lost. But does bear fruit, does that mean mission? Is that really what the word means here? Well, I'm not an expert in Greek, but Don Carson is, all right? I mean, when one Don can't do it, call on another Don, right? So, Don Carson, who rumored to have memorized the New Testament in Greek, says this. The verb set apart or appointed commonly occurs with personal object in context where people are being set apart for particular ministry. Now he says, here's the, here's the deal. He's really smart, so just hang in there. This fact, so that they're set apart for ministry and the emphasis on going and bearing fruit, those things combined, suggest that the fruit primarily in view in this verse is the fruit that emerges from mission, from specific ministry to which the disciples have been sent. The fruit in short, thank you, Don Carson, the fruit in short is new converts. However, comprehensive, the nature of fruit that Christians bear, because it's all over the Bible, there's all this fruit. However comprehensive the nature of fruit that Christians bear, the focus on evangelism and mission is truly central. Fruit equals converts. Fruitfulness means mission. If people aren't getting saved, something's gone wrong. Something's gone wrong if people don't get saved. There's a problem. There's a powerful connection between us going and bearing fruit. We go on mission. And that's a we thing. It's not singularity. It's, it's, it's individual. I mean, it's not individuals. It's, it's, it's corporate. Disciples were always meant to partner together in mission. There's a togetherness that they always had in mission. We think about the first time Jesus sends out disciples. He sent them out two by two. He sent them out together on mission. Now, there's a moment where there's like Philip and Ethiopian and eunuch, but those are just moments the vast majority of what you see of mission is, is done in togetherness. They do it together. Jesus is saying from the beginning, do mission together. Why is that? Well, because lone rangers are dead rangers. You know, you know that whole, like, I'm going to go solo? You know, that, you know those, that, where that's really cool? In video games and movies. That does not work in real life. Right? Lone rangers are dead rangers. Those guys aren't the heroes. Those guys get killed and they get other people killed. There's a togetherness and mission, not just for us Christians, but also for us churches. As we work through the, the New Testament, which PJ will do, and you see there's a corporate owning of the mission, right? Why? Because Jesus said that the field was what? How big is it? It's the world. Jesus said the field is the world. So if you guys have ever tried to work a field, if you've ever gone and like looked at the field, the size of the field really dictates how much help you need, right? 
Um, there, you know, there could be a small little patch where I'm like, cool, I can handle this myself. Then it gets like, it escalates, and I start thinking, who, who are my friends? Which elders, you know, like, can I talk into this? Like, that kind of thing. Um, that's that's the, sort of the size of the field dictates how many people you need. And Jesus said, just so you're clear on how many people you need, the field's the world. So think about working that by yourself. Not going to happen. I mean, if you walked outside and you're like, oh, I have to do the whole world, you're going to need everybody. <laughs> right? That's the point here. You can't do this by yourself. And Jesus is like, I want to be so clear. I just want to tell you, it's the whole world. But you're going to instantly give up on trying to do by yourself, and you're going to go try to find help. We're almost done. Jesus doesn't just want a big pile of fruit. The branches matter to Jesus. They matter to him. Because he loves us, remember? He wants us to hold the line, to stay the course. He wants us to endure. And we want to stay faithful. We have a deep desire to stay faithful. My friend Josh said something to me that is just, he wrote on a card, he doesn't even know this, that card is like on my desk, it'll be there forever. It's a, he just said, man, I, I want to grow old doing ministry with you. And it was such a countercultural picture for me. Because we were used to guys just bailing and burning and dying and giving up and all the rest. To grow old doing ministry together is like a weird thing for us somehow. But like, that's what we see in scripture, man. They grew old together. We, we want to stay faithful, man. We want to, we want to finish the race. That your fruit should abide, remain, continue, endure. God cares about that. It's not like Pharaoh who just viewed God's people as dispensable. He cares about us. He doesn't want us just to be wide. He wants us to be deep. Right? Really wide and really deep. Not just kind of wide and really deep or really wide and little deep. If that's not what he wants us to be really wide and really deep. We want tons of people to be saved really wide. And we don't want to shipwreck our faith and ruin our marriages and train wreck our lives and destroy our churches. 1 Corinthians 9, 27. I discipline my body. I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. We want deep roots. We want to have that as disciples. We want to have it as churches. And nobody told me this stuff. And so I ran out planting thinking success looked like tons of people coming and getting saved, which is wide. And that happened, but we weren't growing deep. And that's a problem. And I don't know how many times the story needs to unfold where that results in devastation before we go, maybe that's not the way to do this, right? Growing wide, growing deep together. It's not the sexy stuff, right? It's the foundations, it's the roots, it's what keeps, the, it's what keeps, us, what keeps us in the ground. And it's, it's necessary. So that there's, there's those things for us as, as individuals, as disciples. There's things like that for our churches. There's things like that for our movement. We talk about like financial accountability. We talk about self-awareness. We talk about diversity of, of leadership. We talk about, you know, really considering tough things like church discipline and, and, and discipleship and all those things. Man, we're talking about the underground stuff that's not sexy, but man, it's got to happen. It's got to happen. It's essential. The small holes that sink the ship, Right? so easy to go. How many people are there on Sunday? Yeah, but, man, our finances are really screwed up and probably not going to last another 10 days. Man, under the water, man, that's the stuff that matters, you know? And so what would we tell a, a Christian if he said, man, I've got some problems in, like that in my life? We'd say, man, there's other Christians around you that can probably help you. It's the same kind of advice we give to churches. Hey, there's other churches around that none of us have got this all figured out. All of us are stronger in other areas than others. And because we're really secure and we don't have to pretend, like we have everything figured out, we get to just 
Say, how can we help? Anything we've got is yours. We're here to help. How can you help us? That, that's, the, that's the thing we're going for. Okay. So, we just love each other, we'll be fruitful. No. We just have good leadership, we'll be fruitful. No. We just, no. If God doesn't show up, nothing grows. Okay? If God doesn't show up, nothing grows. One says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. You're being merely human, Paul says. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed? As the Lord assigned to each, I planted. Apollos watered, but God. God gave the growth. God gave the growth. Neither he who plants nor waters is anything. Only God who gives growth. So guys, creating an environment for fruitfulness, we are dependent on God and we are desperate for him to move. We can have all the right components in the soil. We can have the right water, the right everything. But man, if God doesn't take that seed and make it grow, nothing ever happens. It's all up to him. We're needy people. We're needy churches. We're a needy movement. We need God. We can't help ourselves, let alone anyone else, until Jesus shows up. This entire chapter is about the hopelessness that we have by ourselves. John 15, 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Faithfulness is preceded, sorry, fruitfulness is preceded by abiding in Jesus. We only bear fruit if we abide in him. We're completely dependent on him. And Jesus acknowledges this. In verse 16, he says, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. What's he doing? He's not just saying, yeah, you guys can't do anything by yourself. He's beckoning us. Ask me for help. Call on me. Call on me. Call on, Jesus says, call on my Father to show up and move. And we boast in that. We're thankful for each other, right? We're thankful for the relationships. We're thankful for the leadership. We're thankful for the partnerships. But our hope is in God. We don't get dependent on each other. We don't get dependent on the movement. We don't get dependent on our lead pastor. We get dependent on the vine, Jesus. We're dependent on Jesus. We, and, and, and together, we collectively, we, we're desperate for each other, that Jesus would show up, that God would show up, that whatever you would ask the Father, that he would give it to you, that whatever I ask the Father, that God would, together we bring that, that, that collective cry together, that we cry out together for this, this God who says, cry out to me and says, I'll give it to you. We cry out together that, God, answer their prayers. Come and show up. Do something amazing. God, do something amazing in Adelaide. There's, there's a cry in his heart. There's the desperation in that church. God, do something amazing. We collectively cry out together. God, you said just to ask for it. We're asking for it. Do something phenomenal in Adelaide, Australia. That the whole world will be full of your glory. We're desperate for God to move in our churches. William Carey says, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Man, is that just, that's what it comes out of this. God, you want to do something great. You said, we're going we're to go for it. We believe in the God of the impossible. And lastly, in closing, we really love each other. I know what you're thinking. I thought you already said that. Tell it to Jesus, right? Verse 17 these things I command you so that you will love one another. Now again, this feels funny. It made me think Jesus was having a rough day, you know? Like those days where you just keep saying the same thing. I really had to like, man, Jesus, you're not great at halftime talks, right? Because everyone's like bated breath, like ready to go. And like, this is how you end the huddle, you know? Now go hug each other. I mean, it just feels a little anticlimactic, if you're honest. It feels like we should... 
go be world changers. Go like, I mean, you know, we say other things than this. This is how Jesus wants to book in this. Love each other. Oh, yeah, and so that you'll love each other, right? And, and here's, here's all I can get from this. The next thing Jesus gets into is how we're going to face the hatred of the world and persecution. And man, when you personally, when the junk hits the fan in your life, you know what you need? People who love you. And when your church hits a really bad spot, you know what you need? Another church who really loves you to come alongside you. And you know what? This country that we are trying to do ministry in, this continent, is getting harder. You know what we really need? Not just to relate to each other, we need to love each other. That's it. Love you guys. Looking forward to the next couple of days together.